Hey, good morning. Oh, good to see you here. Welcome home. Welcome home. Happy New Year to those of you who haven't seen in a while. Holiday weekend. Some people traveling. A lot of people traveling. But we get to see some people we don't usually get to see, and it's great. Children, we have Children's Church for you downstairs with wonderful Cresia down there. So go if you want. This message is rated NC11. So go on. If you're between the ages of thir- three and fifth grade. Um, anyway, I'm so glad you're here. A couple of other announcements. Um, college girls, um, info on small group. We want you to know about it. We want you enlivened by it. We want you to get some information. So if you could come meet at this very table with Steph and Rach after uh, the service, I'd appreciate it. After that, Anybody, college students or adults or whomever, who wants information about the possibility of going to Honduras this summer uh, on a mission trip, uh, Austin is going to be here talking to you about that. So we've got college lunch. We've got reasons to stay. Um, please be part of that. Great. Um, did anybody get up early enough to see what Ryan was talking about with the trees? Oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. And I, it, it I almost veered off the road on the way here um, just to praise God. It was just as Jesus was decorating our city and our college, and he didn't miss one tree, not one. And that's important. It connects to the message. So, so hang on to that. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 13. That's where we are, Luke 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you like to follow along with one, um, you can look under the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible... Um, that's yours to keep as our free gift. If you're just using it for the day and you're going to put it back, um, don't put your gum in it because after a week it gets really hard and it loses most of its flavor. So don't do that. Um, If you're using that Bible, you're on page 745. Um, Title of this message is The Tree Part 2 which implies that we did the tree part one last week. And if you weren't here with us or you haven't listened to the free podcast, please do so on the, uh, either the website or on iTunes because these two messages are connected. This truth of God's word for our new year is, is connected. And in order to um, get the full message of what Jesus has planned for you and for me and for his kingdom, um, you got to have it all. So uh, please visit there. Um, this morning is a little bit different. Um, Jesus, out of his love for us, is going to tell us some things that are shocking and disturbing and, and a bit painful. Um, but I, I plead with you um, to receive them and respond to them anyway, um, because any time that he gives us uh, something that's disturbing and a little painful, um, it's because of his great love for us. And, and so I want to, to just plead with you. Um, I've been trying to let him break me this week and, and respond and surrender to these truths. Um, and, and three reasons why this is so important. First, because Jesus loves you so incredibly much, and he wants desperately for you to receive and surrender him to him so that we can become the men and the women that he created us to be and experience him in, in the fullest extent possible. Number two, because the truths that he is about to share with us are literally, literally a matter of life and death. 
And, and number three, because if we are emboldened, if we are broken enough to receive and respond to these difficult truths, then we will experience Jesus Christ in a way that is so far beyond anything we could ask for or imagine. And, and the results uh, both now and eternally will be just glorious. So um, we're going to pray and then we'll dive in. Um, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your presence. Um, Lord, I I would ask uh, that you give us all ears to hear and eyes to see and, and hearts that are open to receive and respond and surrender and repent, Lord, because um, your love for us is so great. Your plan for us is so glorious. Your concern for us is beyond what we can even imagine. Lord, and, and, and we want you glorified. And, and so we would hear, please, from you and you only. And uh, Lord, I ask you to forgive me my sins, and I wish they were not so many. And that your spirit would so flow through this place that we'd all be transformed. Lord, that's our prayer. That's your will. May it be so. In Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 13. We're going to pick it up in the first verse. Um, we're going to do this message in two um, kind of shorter sections. And both sections have to do with the urgency of responding to, surrendering to, repenting to the urgency right now and in this new year, throughout this new year, to respond to Jesus Christ. So here it is. Here's the first part. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood that Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or how about those 18 on whom the, the tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Wow. Now, that's a little heavy. That's a little harsh. I'm, I'm at, first, at first listen, right? Now, these are hard. This is a hard passage. I'm willing to bet that none of you is going to go out and knit that into an afghan to throw over your couch or, or have that read at your wedding, right? But it's important. It's so urgent that we understand. We not only understand, but we receive and respond to this. So it's important that we go back and unpack it and see what, what Jesus was really saying because it's easy to get wrong. It's, it's easy to get wrong. Okay, verse 1. Let's go back to verse 1. Now, people who were around him um, are telling Jesus about this horrible atrocity that has just happened, right? Um, there are Galileans, right? And, and they, a lot of these people don't really believe that Jesus is God and so that he would know everything. So in case he missed like Jerusalem Eyewitness News the night before, they're going to fill him in. So they tell him about these people in Galilee who are coming together for some kind of worship service, right? And Pontius Pilate, who um, Jesus appeared before his death, right? He has some soldiers break into this worship gathering, apparently, and just slaughter, massacre the worshipers. And, and in a sense, 
pour their blood out into the communion cups. I mean, it's horrible. It's horrible stuff. And, and it's almost as if um, we were to go up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, did you hear about that nut job in, in Tucson who went to this, this political um, event and, and, and shot Representative Giffords and, and killed a bunch of people, including a nine-year-old girl? Did you hear about that? Right? And we'd be expecting some kind of response, right? I doubt we'd be expecting this kind of response because what Jesus says and how he answers them in verses 2 and 3 is almost as shocking as the news itself. And here's what Jesus says. He says, do you think that these Galileans, do you think that these Galileans who were, who were slaughtered were worse sinners than all the other people in Galilee? Then because they suffered this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And Jesus didn't stop there. He took it even further. In verse 4, he says, and then there was this tower, you know, the Tower of Siloam. Now, there was a healing pool there where people would go, and maybe, maybe these people came to get in there and, and be healed. So they're expecting something good to happen. Um, so they were in the tower, and the tower fell and crushed them. Did you hear about that? Do you know about that? I mean, the first one was like the evil in, in man's heart, right? Um, Pilate's going to murder people. But this, this was like an architectural problem, right? This is almost a natural disaster. And they're, they're being crushed. Did you hear about that? And he goes on and he says, do you think that because you weren't there in that tower that those people were worse than you because this happened to them? And he says that shocking thing again. Again, in verse 5, he says, no. No, they weren't. But I tell you that unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus is turning the focus and saying, look, what happened to them was, was immediate and was terrible and it was drastic, and it was, it was awful. It was awful, the destruction. But that's not what's at stake here. What's at stake here is the very same thing is happening in your hearts, and you don't even know it. You don't, you don't even know it. And what does that do to us? You know, those, you think they were worse off? Why, why does that have application for us? I, I'll tell you why. Because particularly churchy people, people who claim to follow Jesus Christ, we have a tendency, not all of us, we have a tendency when, when bad things happen, right? Bad things happen to a family or a person, we get all self-righteous. <clears throat> well, house burned down. Wonder why that is. Maybe they should have seen that coming when they bought those Harry Potter novels. Really? Really? Where do you file that? except under crazy. Where do you file that if your theology says that bad things happen to bad people and not good people? Well, the fact of the matter is in relationship to a holy God, a holy and perfect God, there are no good people. There are no good people. I mean, Romans 6, uh, 3.23 says all have sinned, all, all of us, and fall short of the glory of God. 
and, 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 and elsewhere in that chapter earlier, it says there is none righteous. No, not, not one. Not, not one of us is batting a thousand. Not one of us is getting an A+. Plus. So stop looking down your nose at people who have tragedy in their lives. That's not the issue. The issue is the tragedy in our own hearts. And he says, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And this is, if, if, if we sink this in, if we absorb this, this is very troubling. Especially those last three words. And so we're going to take a minute, we're going to look at them. The first one is all. All. Who's he talking about? Me <laughs> and you. All of us. You, me, the Pope, Lady Gaga, everybody in between. We're all going down. All of us. So it, it includes you and me this morning. Um, whether we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ or whether we know we're just kind of checking out the faith, we might be far from him. All of us are in that uh, boat. Unless we repent, we will all likewise perish. That's particularly terrifying. And I like how John Piper puts it um, when he was paraphrasing Jesus when Jesus said, do you think they were worse sinners? He said, Jesus is in a sense saying, Piper says, no, their sin was not extraordinarily horrible. It was ordinarily horrible, just like yours. And if you don't repent, you too will experience a horrible end. All of you. Because that's what sin does. It brings about, either slowly or quickly, visibly or invisibly, a horrible death. A horrible death. That left alone, if it's not forgiven, if it's not washed clean, everything, what we see is a flea bite of a sin or something that makes the headlines has the same outcome. Death. Death. It, it's, it's cancerous to our souls. So all, we're all in that same boat. How about likewise? That word likewise means in the same way. Now, it's easy to get this wrong um, by thinking that Jesus is saying that as you come to Bethany, um, some week it's likely that um, some armed guards are going to come in and they're going to slaughter you and bleed you out and pour your blood on the communion table. Is that going to happen? That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. Or uh, it's easy to think that, that he's saying that with the tower thing, next time we go into city market, that the roof is going to fall in and, and crush you when you're trying to get Ben and Jerry's. And he's not saying that. He's not saying that. So what is he saying? What he's saying is both of these sets of people came to a horrible, swift, and unexpected end. A horrible, swift, and unexpected end. And you will likewise come to that same end. Not, not necessarily in your body being cut up or crushed, but far worse. Far worse. In your heart and in your soul. And, and, and it's not that our bodies are not going to die. I mean, everybody... Everybody in our body is, is going to stop breathing. Is, is, is going to, our heart is going to stop beating. But if that happens without knowing me, we're going to come face to face with a holy God without the saving mercy of, of Jesus. And, and that is far 
more tragic, far more horrible because that pain, that death goes on forever. When we die in the body, it can be painful, but it stops. It's over. When we die in our hearts, and that's what Jesus is saying, when we perish in our hearts, in our souls, in our very spirit, it goes on forever. And so it's far worse, far worse. And he loves us. So before you know it, for many who don't expect it, that end comes likewise. The last word is perhaps the most disturbing. It's perish. Perish. Um, uh, You might think about this word when you buy perishables from the grocery store when you didn't get crushed. Um, But like um, sour cream, as soon as you use it, you got to put it in back in the fridge because if not, it's perishable. It'll grow a beard. It, it's, it's awful. There are a lot of things like that, right? It's perishable. Unless something is done to stop it, it's going to decay and die and, and be something it was never meant to be. So, so that's perish. It doesn't mean die in the sense that We're all going to flatline someday. We're all going to stop breathing um, someday, unless, of course, we're still alive when Jesus comes back, and and, and then we won't. But all of us are going to flatline someday, and what he's saying is, if you repent, that's not going to happen. If you don't repent, that's going to happen. So even though people who repent are still going to die, so it's got to mean something more. It's got to mean something deeper, and it does. It does. It, It means something so much deeper. Jesus is saying that if we don't repent, we, we won't perish. What he's talking about is something more than dying physically. It's a spiritual death. As I said, the final judgment of a holy God, which Jesus came to rescue us from, to pour his blood over us, to pay the price for, so that we could appear before God in his righteousness, not our own. That we would appear fully forgiven and fully free as his son and daughter as righteous as Christ is righteous, not in our own self-righteousness, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And some of you understand perishing because you feel that in your heart, maybe in your whole life, maybe in different areas of your life, that you're living in a state of perishing, of moving from death to ever-increasing death, more and more, more and more. But The gospel is that in Christ, we can have his life inside us that is life with ever-increasing life. Do you see that? Do you see that progression? That as we move closer and closer to physical death in our hearts, in our spirits, we're moving ever-increasing life because he is sanctifying us and changing us and living his life through us, and that never ends. Jesus came to rescue us from that reality. Physical death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. I'll say it again. Physical death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. Spiritual death is. Spiritual death is. And and we have a lot of believers um, who would nod, nod your heads. Yeah, that's true. I don't think, I don't think most of us really buy that. I don't think most of us really believe that. How do I know? Well, if I was standing here talking to you and I grabbed my chest and I slumped over this table and then fell onto the ground, many of you would would rightly come to the conclusion that I was having a heart attack. 
And, and, and I bet that some of you um, would be glad the sermon's over. Some of you would spring to your feet and, and you'd come and, and, and you'd do compressions on my chest. Some of you might do like the rest of CPR. Others of you might take your cell phone and dial 911. Um, Josh, you'd probably use this opportunity to draw on my face. But that's okay. I love you, man. Um, but what would happen is you'd see me facing imminent physical death, and you would spring into action to put a stop to it, to do all that you could that that end would not come upon me. And I'm grateful for that. But you and I are very comfortable with living next to, going to school with, being friends with, working with, loving people who are dying spiritually and do nothing, absolutely nothing about it. If we really believe that physical death was not the worst thing that could happen to us, you and I would live differently. We'd love differently. We would so want the life of Christ in everybody differently. Jesus isn't like that. He isn't comfortable or content to watch his loved ones die. So I believe that Jesus said, all will likewise perish with a lump in his throat and an ache in his heart because he doesn't want that to happen to you or to me because he loves us too much. The scriptures bear this out. John three sixteen, which is, if you know one Bible verse, that's the one you probably know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him should not what? Say it with me, not perish, but have eternal life. So eternal life is the opposite of perish, which is eternal death. And, and, and that's his rescue mission. It's because otherwise we'd perish. We perish and he loves us too much to let that happen. Second Peter 3, 9, here's another one. It's beautiful. This is the heart of God. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as so some count slowness, but it's patient toward us. The reason that you and I were not at that worship service with the Galileans who were massacred, the reason that you and I are not in that, we're not in that um, tower and got crushed and had our physical lives end is because God is patient with us. Why? Because he's not wishing that any should, what? Perish. Not any, but that how many? All should reach repentance. The only thing that Jesus says that will counteract that all likewise perish is repentance. So it's, it's important that we understand what this word means. And we have a lot of twisted ideas about the word repentance. It's something that makes a lot of people cringe. And I, I get that. It's almost like we react reactives. If Jesus is telling us to eat Brussels sprouts or beets or something nasty like that, that I'm convinced he never meant for us to eat. Um, but it's not. But I get why we feel that way, because many of you may have stayed up late at one night and you're surfing the channels, and you come in front of this TV preacher, and he says, repent, almost angry and beat red face. Repent! You know the guy, right? There's dozens of them. Or maybe it's just some nut job who is yelling at you on the College Center quad. Angry, yelling, repent, as if it's a bad thing. Repentance 
is the most beautiful word, is the most gorgeous, loving concept in the world. I need repentance. You need repentance. I need to repent about every 15 minutes. Every 15 minutes. Now, some people, some people think, well, I repented when I came to Christ. Well, and 25 years ago, when, when I accepted the Lord, I repented of all my sins. I received this forgiveness, and I've never had to repent again. Well, really? Martin Luther rightly said that the Christian life is one of continual repentance. If you and I don't realize that, yes, we're forgiven in the eyes of God, but we've not lived up to that, not in his spirit, not in, ooh, we're still wrecked. We're a family of broken people whom Jesus loves recklessly in spite of that. That's the good news. Not a bunch of church people thinking they're better off than everybody else. Repentance is a beautiful concept. It's beautiful. Jesus never calls us to repentance unless he's calling us to walk through a door and on the other side is his grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, hey, turn around, agree with me, change your mind, change your heart. Let me press on you. Let me show you a better way. Come home to me. Come home to the cross. On the other side of that door of repentance is grace. Repentance is an invitation to receive grace, and grace is love, mercy, favor, forgiveness, loving kindness for people who don't deserve it. For people like me who are clearly guilty, the favor and all the goodness of God is on the other side of repentance. So repentance is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful word. Those who play golf, it's a mulligan on life. It's a do-over, but this time, he's going to do it through you. That's, a great, that's great news if we're brave enough to admit that we're broken, that we don't have it all together. And look, I want to talk to the guys because we tend to get proud about being right. If you're going to follow Christ, get good at admitting that you're wrong. I mean, and we don't do it. We get behind the wheel, and this, this factor kind of magnifies itself. You know that, right? We're driving, and we're driving, and we know, we know we're lost. We are lost. We're like a blind man in a dark room looking for a, dark cat, a black cat that isn't there. We are lost, but we're not going to admit it to our girlfriends, not to our wives, not to my son who is riding shotgun. Now, he's been in greater Chicago area for four years now going to college, so I pride myself in having gotten to know the interstates around there pretty well. Well, I'm driving around with him, and I am clearly lost, clearly lost. And the woman in the box is saying, please make a legal U-turn. No way, baby. I know where I'm going. Tommy's saying, maybe we ought to take this exit. Heck no. Then we see a sign. We're in Chicago, Illinois. We see a sign that says, welcome to Iowa. He says, Dad, for the love of all that is holy, turn around. Nobody goes to Iowa on purpose. I think we're okay, yeah? Nobody from, I don't think we got anybody in Iowa who's listening to the podcast. If we, if we do, hey, I need repentance. Um, some of us, some of us in our hearts and in our lives, Jesus just hung up a sign for you and for me that says, welcome to Iowa. You're not going where you think you're going. 
things are not unfolding the way you think they're going to. It's time to agree with me. I've got a better way. I've got a better plan. Do a U-turn. Come back. Come home. Broken over the sorrow of having gone wrong and insist that you were right for so long. Come home and receive me and all that I earned for you on the cross in your place and rose for new life. Come home. Be forgiven. Be set free. Repent. It will keep you from perishing. So, so his original audience and so we can understand this and receive and respond to it and surrender to him even more fully or for the first time. He tells a little story and and we're going to look at that. That's part two. Starting in verse six, and he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I found none cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put manure, put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. This story is about the absolute urgency of those who believe we're following Jesus Christ and those who know they're not. The absolute urgency in this new day, today, in this new year, this year, to surrender, to respond, to receive, to repent. It's urgent. It's urgent. We're going to see why. Verse 6. Let's go back. Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Who's the man? Who's the man? Okay, no, I've trained you to see Jesus every time. Nice try. Save that. It's not true here. It's God the Father. Very close. I'll get back to you. It's God the Father, okay? He plants a fig tree. Who's a tree? Oh, yes, you, me. Each one of us is a tree, right? Each one of us is a tree. We looked at it last week. This tree God planted in his vineyard. He planted it in the vineyard. Now, he didn't plant it in the wilderness where, where it was far away from anything else. He didn't plant it on some rocky ground. He planted it in a vineyard. Now, what grows in vineyards? Great wine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, up here, buddy. Yeah. All right. That hurt. I didn't feel the love in that, buddy. All right. He plants it in the vineyard. The vineyard is where he has cultivated the soil. It is so rich and nutrient flooded. This is the place where if anything's going to grow, this is going to grow. He's planted it in the vineyard with the grapes so that this tree might grow and have his life flowing through it and the fruit on every single branch. He's given it every good chance He owns it. He planted it. It's in his vineyard. We live in the United States of America where it is highly, highly unlikely that military forces are going to break in here during this service and slaughter us all. We have freedom of religion. We have freedom to seek God. We have freedom to speak the gospel, speak the name of Jesus Christ. Heck, we live in Gunnison 
This is a town that has more churches than we have restaurants that don't have a drive-through. You have chance after chance after chance of hearing God's truth, of hearing his voice and responding to it, right? He's planted us in the vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and he found none. This tree is in a rut. This tree is in a rut. It's over time not born fruit, not born fruit. And he owns it. He planted it. Why do, we, why do you plant a, a fruit tree? So, so that it can bear fruit, right? He owns the tree. He has the right to expect that it would do what trees were me- fruit trees were m- meant to do. He owns the tree. We do not belong to ourselves. That's a good definition for sin, by the way, when we live and act and think as if we owned ourselves. He owns us, and he comes seeking fruit, and there is none. And so what does he say? It's, uh, it's pretty disturbing. Even though this fruit, this tree was exposed to God's best, his blessing, it was unaffected by it. There's urgency for us to be affected by it. In verse 7, he said to the vine dresser, who's the vine dresser? Say it now. Who's the vine dresser? All right, you got an A. Okay, good. He says to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree. For three years now. This is a picture of God's patience, right? His loving patience with us. Again and again and again, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree. And I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Here we have a picture of one of the characteristics of God. God's justice. God's justice. We love God's justice in one way. I mean, if you're worshiping a God who is not into justice, he's not worth worshiping, right? But God, the true God, is into justice. He's all about justice. And we want justice in some ways, don't we? We watch all kinds of cop shows about justice all the time. And then we, like, we want justice for that army that came in and cut apart those Galileans. We want justice for the contractor uh, in that tower in Siloam who, in order to save a few dollars, um, didn't design it to withstand the weight of the people who were in it. We want justice for the guy in Tucson. We want justice for murderers and rapists and sex traffickers and you name it. We want that kind of justice. But wanting justice, this kind of justice, puts you and and, and puts me in in a very difficult spot. Because in God's eyes, according to his law, we're all guilty. And we all deserve his justice and This is God's justice. Cut it down. Cut it down. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul who sins shall die. The soul who sins shall die. Who is that? That's me. That's you. That's the truth. We're all in the same boat before just and holy God. Romans 6.23 says the wages, the payment, what we've earned for our sin, whether it's one or one million, whether it's what we would define as a flea bite of a sin that really doesn't affect anybody, or something that makes the headlines, everything in between clarifies the truth of this. The wages of our sin is death, but, and that's a big old what? The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All our working, all our trying, 
all our moral uh, discipline. We're going we're gonna to get our own righteousness, right? We're going to white-knuckle our behavior, as, as one preacher says. It gets us sin and death. But God, in Jesus Christ, gives us the free gift of eternal life. We're using up his ground, it says, fruitless. Why should we take up the ground? I'm going to plant other fruit trees that are actually going to bear fruit. Thankfully, God's justice is not the only aspect of his heart. Jesus Christ displays for us his mercy and grace. His mercy and grace. Thank God this is not where the story ends. Verse 8, and he, the vine dresser, Jesus, answered him and said, Sir, let it alone this year. Now, if you're an underliner, if you're a highlighter and you have your Bible, underline this year because this year is this day, is this year. 2011 is this year in our lives. There's urgency to this. This year, let it alone until I, he's going to do two things. He's going to dig around it and put on manure. You see, because it's not bearing fruit. Now, for those who believe they're followers of Jesus Christ, bearing fruit is not optional for the Christian. They have a word for Christians who don't bear fruit. It's called unbelievers. We're kidding ourselves. So as we check, as we do this fruit check, and we talked about the fruit of the Spirit last week, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As we check for those in every area of our lives, and we find and we find that in our marriages, in our friendships, in our neighborhoods, in our work, in the way we handle money, in the way that we worry, in the way that we, you name it, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? He's got an answer. Jesus is taking on the job himself personally and saving your tree and my tree from death, perishing eternally. He's giving us another chance. Jesus does not want to lose one single tree. And even as this morning, he coated and decorated every single tree in this valley. He wants to redeem and forgive and breathe life into every single tree, every single person, every single one of us. He does not want to lose you. So he's going to do everything to get this fruitless tree to repent, to return, to surrender to him fully, to have his life coursing through it. And when it does, it will bear fruit and lots of it. So he's going to break up the ground. And some of you feel like everything around you is being broken up. Everything around you is being broken to pieces. And I submit to you that that may very well be the spade of Jesus Christ breaking things up so that our hearts are softened and broken to receive him. And some of us feel as he, the next thing he's doing, right? He's going to spread manure. And some of you feel up to your neck in dung, right? That's how you would describe your life. And I submit to you that that might be very well the, the mercy of Jesus Christ fertilizing your tree with his heart, with his blood, with his mercy, with his grace, so that you might bear fruit. Whether you're believing that you're following him or you've never made that decision to follow him, that we all might bear fruit. In that sense, one pastor said, um, this message is manure. Don't say amen. Okay, you can. 
Verse 9, then if it should bear fruit next year. Underline next year, that's this year coming. Well and good. The angels will rejoice. I will rejoice. They will have life and joy inside them. But if not, you can cut it down. Despite all of this mercy, despite all of this grace, despite all God's intercession, some will still refuse Jesus. That's eternal death. And Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus loves the tree. Jesus loves you so much. He loves me so much that he became the tree and bore fruit that we could never imagine bearing in a quantity and a quality that we could never bear. And at the end of his life, when he saw all the barren trees that he loved, he said, rather than cut them down, cut me down in their place. And I will die the death that they deserved. And then I'll live inside them. If they'll only receive me and surrender to me fully and be filled with my spirit. And then, and then they will bear fruit because I will do it inside them. This is the gospel. The gospel for the believer and the unbeliever. This is the truth of God that we bore no fruit in a tree. And so in our place, he came and bore all the fruit that could possibly be born and died the death on the cross for our sins in our place that we deserved as our substitute, if you will, so that we could have his life within us and not perish, but live forever with him. Galatians 3.13 puts it beautifully. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by, coming, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So he not only became the tree, he died on one. So that the tree that he loves, that's you, could be set free, replanted in the vineyard with his life coursing through you to bear fruit. That's what he does. Even now, he is digging around your heart, fertilizing it with his heart, with his blood, with his cross, with his spirit, so that you might bear fruit. What will the result be? You decide. Let's pray.